Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Now, I've said it before, I'm a Kansas guy, and there's almost nothing about the Sunflower State that I don't know. But I recently heard a Kansas story on another podcast called Midwesternish, a show from KCUR 89.3. It was new to me. It's a story about a man from Kansas who became the first black astronaut. Well, almost anyway. Ed Dwight was always obsessed with flying, so obsessed that he used to draw birds when he was a kid. And then he started noticing that people could fly, too, using airplanes. Airplanes that took off and landed at an airbase near his house in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, after the, uh, the, uh, the war started in 1941, uh, they turned Air for, uh, Fairfax into a training base for fighter pilots. Uh, uh, and uh, so I got to see airplanes every day, so I started drawing airplanes. Ed's obsession with flight would take him to the edge of the atmosphere. Well, almost. From a dot in the middle of the map, this is Midwesternish. I'm Gina Kaufman. Ed never dreamed he'd go to the moon, but he did fantasize about escaping life in Kansas. And it was the idea of escape that really attracted him to those airplanes. Where were they going, anyway? The things I was, I was most curious about is so where had they been when they came to land, and where were they going when they took off? And that was the mystery, and that was, was my dream state and my inspiration about that they've got to be going or coming back from some exotic place that wasn't where I was. And, and, and were they being fulfilled, and what were they doing there, and... And, and, you know, and, and, and every time they land, they'd be, you know, joyous and everything. And I think but today, <laughs> I think they're joyous because they were able to land safely. <laughs> but, uh, but that was my inspiration uh, to, to, you know, you know to figure out, you know, where were they going and, you know, and where had they been. So you can understand why he set his sights on becoming an Air Force pilot. But there was one giant obstacle standing in his way. Remember... We're talking about the 1930s and 1940s. Ed was a young black man coming of age in the Jim Crow era. And, uh, and the idea of, of flying airplanes and doing all kind of wonderful things in life. And, and uh, I didn't know anything about engineering and science and all that kind of stuff. So that, that, that just wasn't on the table uh, uh, to do that. So it was a, I mean, it made some great thoughts and uh, inspirational dreams and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, you know, that was the limit of it. Did you tell anyone about your dream? Oh, well, everybody in town knew, uh, that were around me knew about this dream I had. Uh, when, I, when, when I was out on the farm, I built an airplane out of orange crates. I, w- I would go to Safeway and get all your throwaway orange crates. I, I would build these airplanes. And then when we moved downtown, I built an airplane in my backyard. And, and I would charge the kids a nickel to fly in it. You know, I would be in the front seat, of course. Uh, and I'd make airplane noise and all that kind of stuff, and the people in the neighborhood thought I was a screwball. Uh, but but I, I made a lot of friends, and everybody wanted to fly in my plane. <laughs> when he wasn't building model airplanes, Ed worked delivering newspapers, the best old-timey job ever. 
And the front page of one of those newspapers kind of blew his mind. Uh, and, and, I, and I went to pick up my papers, uh, uh, and on the front page was a big photograph of a black pilot standing on the wing of an F-86 Sabre jet. He had been shot down in Korea, and it was a prisoner of war, and, and he was from Kansas City, Missouri. And I wigged out. I said, this is insane. I didn't even know they let black pilots get anywhere near airplanes. And here this guy, and why didn't I know this? Uh, and the guy was from Kansas City. I was like, where did he get trained? How did he get in the military? How did all this stuff happen right before my nose? And so that encouraged me when I saw that guy standing on the front of that plane. I wasn't concerned about him getting shot down. I, I was more wrapped about his, the idea of him being able to fly a jet. And he had all of his, all the pilot stuff on, and and I just, I mean, so I went straight down to the recruiting office and and start talking, uh, you know, getting uh, uh, literature and everything. And in the beginning, it was fun to go get the literature and stuff like that. And and to the point where they threw me out, and told me not to come to the recruiting office anymore. So so some more time passed on. So uh, I I gotten out of high school. I was in college, and I was still. To, to trying to get information about how I could apply, and nobody would give me any information. So I wrote the Pentagon, and so the Pentagon sent a team to my to my school, and I was the first one in line, uh, and they sent 33 of us out to Denver, Colorado, to test for pilot training, and out of the 33, I was the only one that passed. A lot of times people say that seeing someone with your similar background or who looks like you pursuing something makes you believe it's possible and it sounds like that really was the case for you well well, well it was it was you know if i hadn't seen dayton raglan on 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 the front of that thing i think it would have been a fascinating i, I would have found out eventually uh but it, but it might have been too late uh, do you see what i'm saying because i found out in life you have to start these things early and, and one of the things the only reason that i passed the test for pilot training when i was a kid my mom introduced me to the library uh, uh, at four years old, and, I'm, and the, the library was a major part of my life. So when I was like 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, they, they had a, uh, a whole thing on flying in, in, the, in the library. So I, I got interested in reading about this stuff. So there were six manuals that they had uh, on the shelf at, at, at the Northeast Junior, uh, Junior High School Library, uh, and I took those manuals, I would check them out, and I would take them home, and I, and I would read every chapter and study the chapter. At the end of each chapter was a test, uh, a multiple-choice test, uh, and, I would, and I had been doing that for years. You were uh, in charge of your own education. Yeah. And well, what, what happened was when I got to Denver, I sat down at the table, and they gave me this battery of tests, and I started looking at these things, and I said, I've seen this before. Same and tests? I, uh, yeah, exactly the same tests. Wow. So I, 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 uh, I missed two questions, and in 20 minutes, I, I walked up. It was, they gave you two hours to finish. At 20 minutes, I took, took him up to the guy, and he said, well, it's too tough for you, huh? I said, no, I think I missed, maybe you missed two. After pilot school, Ed started studying nuclear engineering in California. Far from Kansas, like those planes he used to see. And then just out of the blue, 
a letter came in the mail. I got this letter uh, November the 4th, 1961, asking me if I was interested in, in being a candidate for, for the first Negro ad. They were using Negro in those days. Uh, there was an opportunity to me uh, to be the, uh, uh, the first Negro astronaut. Was I interested in going to test pilot school? Who was the started. letter from? Well, it was at the direction. It was from the, it was from the Pentagon, but it was at the direction of the White House. And, and under so, John F. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, and and so here I'm, and I thought it was a joke, obviously, you know, and uh, and I hadn't thought going to space was not on my bucket list. That's the last thing, because uh, I was already on the fast track. Of my my commanders and they told me, "See, you're going to be a general, Ed." So. Just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And, and so anyway, I got this letter, and I, I went to my media commander, and he, he recommended against it. And I went through all the guys, I mean, that I above me to ask him, what, what does this mean? And I knew about the first seven astronauts. They had been already appointed. And it was the last thing on my agenda. And, my, and this is my, all my commanders uh, told me, you know, you will not, you don't fit in that culture, Ed. Uh, and uh, so secretly, I sent my stuff in anyway. <laughs> We'll find out what happened with Ed's application in a minute. And maybe it's ridiculous to even jokingly compare the leap into podcasting to those first missions to the moon. Scratch that. It's definitely ridiculous to do that. But let's just go with it, okay? Some people still don't get podcasts. What makes them so appealing? How to listen? You, my brave astronauts, can help change that. Start by thinking of someone you know really well. Someone who might not listen to podcasts yet. What do you think they'd like? Just come up with one podcast this one person would love. If only they knew about it. All we want you to do is share that one podcast with that one person. Then make sure they know how to listen. That's it. Be sure and tell us what you shared with the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y-P-O-D. Because maybe we want to listen to it too. Let's get back to Ed Dwight, who spent his childhood dreaming of taking flight like a bird or plane. Now he's a young man who's just received a letter from President John F. Kennedy, an invitation to train as an astronaut and go to the moon which would make him one of the first men on the moon, but also the very first black astronaut, period. When we left off, Ed had just sent in his application not really believing he'd be chosen. But amazingly enough, he got the spot. So here he is, a black man in the early 1960s entering the space program, a metaphor, if ever there was one, for American optimism. But you can't help but wonder... Did he experience racism during this training? Well, uh, tons of it. The whole experience really broke my faith in human behavior uh, because from the beginning, uh, all the instructors uh, that were to instruct me before I got down there, some of the students had already gotten down there for that particular class. And they were called in a room and, and, and told that uh, Kennedy is trying to cram an N-word down our throats. And we cannot let that happen. So we, uh, when this guy gets here, do not speak to him, do not socialize with him, do not drink with him, uh, make life uncomfortable for him at every, at every, every, 
and he will quit. Uh, we can't fire him because he's been placed there by the White House. We're in a carpool, uh, and so uh, I was. That was my week to drive the carpool, you know, and and. and I mean, nobody would speak to me, but when we got there, it, we all walked in 10 minutes late for, for the class. I was the only one that got called out in front of everybody, and, and I was unprofessional. Uh, I would, there was no test pilots aren't late for meetings and class, and, and, but, but I was the only one singled out. And every place we went uh, uh, when we were traveling, uh, and I don't know whether this was done conspiratorially, but uh, we'd get on the bus after we got off the plane, and they would tell, uh, you know, an inward joke, uh, you know, and and half the guys would laugh, and the other half the guys would, that had, uh, you know, had any decorum wouldn't laugh. But it was it was a continuum of me getting chewed out, uh, instructors not instructing me, and I would we'd get get up on an airplane and we'd be flying, and I say, am I doing anything wrong? And I would get, well, if, if you were doing something wrong, I'd tell you. Uh, and then they went, why did you turn that way to go back? We're finished with the flight. Why did you turn back that way? You know, and people don't do that, you know, because after every flight, everybody does acrobatics and, and all that other kind of stuff. But I wasn't allowed to do that. So, uh, you know, later on, uh, one of my instructors was my classmate when I went into space training, and he confessed to me all of this stuff. That they were—he was the one that told me about the, the meeting that they had. He apologized to me, uh, you know, for all the abuse and, and chewing me out in the class and all that old kind of stuff. So yeah, I, 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 when we traveled, I was the only one. Uh, here you got a group of people in the Air Force, of uh, uh, test pilots and, and future astronauts, and and they, the hotel knows we're coming. I'd be the only one with no room. If you're starting to get the feeling that things weren't going to turn out the way Ed hoped, you're right. There were national politics. There was, I mean, this wasn't something that was localized. This was, uh, uh, you know, you know, it, 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 you know, I was kind of going in and out of the White House the whole time I was there in the House and the Senate, uh, and so there was a lot of resistance to my being any black being in the program at that time, because uh, it, it, they were told that if if any black or woman came into this program at this at, at this early stage, the first seven astronauts would be diminished in stature because they had to be kept as heroes and the tax base to getting money from the from the citizens of America for NASA was predicated on these seven guys that had to be made heroes. The John Glenn uh, concept, the Neil Armstrong concept. So if you put a black in that mix, the public would say, you know, well, if a black guy can do it, if a woman can do it, these guys are not heroes. You know, these guys are just regular people. And and so and so it was a lot of resistance on the part of of um, uh, the House and the Senate uh, not to have any blacks involved in it at all. And true enough, it was 20 years almost to the day before blacks came into NASA. This whole story kind of reminds me of John F. Kennedy's famous speech about going to the moon. From 1962, he spoke about 
struggling to fulfill a goal. Why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Ed Dwight chose goals too. He chose to become a pilot when everyone said he couldn't. He chose to apply for training as an astronaut even though he'd been warned that he wouldn't be accepted. Overcoming struggles here at home can feel every bit as impossible as putting a man on the moon, until someone just goes for it, even if it's someone else who's catapulted skyward in the end. In 1983, Guy Bluford became the first black man in space. This episode of Midwesternish was produced by Matt Hodap and Jen Chen. Sylvia Maria Gross is our editor. You can subscribe to this podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you generally do that kind of thing. The stories on Midwesternish come from a daily show on Kansas City's public radio station, KCUR 89.3. The show's called Central Standard. Head to kcur.org if you want to check it out. I'm Gina Kaufman. Onward and upward. Our episode today comes from Midwesternish, a podcast about thinkers and doers in the Midwest. You should head on over to their show and subscribe now. That show and this show are produced by Matt Hodap in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City. Archiver is a co-production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer. If you like the podcast, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. If you have NPR One app, search for Archiver in Explore and click Follow. I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver.